Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to the book of Jude. We are in chapter one. We're going to finish the book today in a Bible study that I've entitled, Keep Yourselves in the Love of God. Keep Yourselves in the Love of God. Jude here finishes up a very difficult letter with one of the most beautiful and powerful doxologies in all of the Bible. Now, if you're taking notes, a doxology is defined as a declaration of praise to God or a brief hymn expressing power and glory. The word itself doesn't appear in the Bible, but the concept is certainly present. And there are several passages like the one we have before us that we term doxology, a declaration of praise because of, their dear, because of the clear declaration of praise to God. Jude is giving a last and strong instruction as he closes up this last paragraph. False teachers abound, we know that. Difficulties surround us. But you, he says, notice in verse 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. On some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Keep yourselves in the love of God. I love that phrase. It's the second time he's used it. Remember back in verse 17, it's all that's going on and all these descriptions and how it's difficult to hear false teachers being described and all the damage that they're doing and what they're being compared to. All of that, he says in verse 17, but you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he jumps down again and uses the same phrase in verse 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. There's always a contrast. The believer, the unbeliever. The true believer, the false believer. And there's always, in the midst of difficulty, there's always in the midst of crisis, there's always that need for you to be addressed. All this is happening in your life. I mean, contextualize it in your own life right now. What's happening in your family? Maybe there's drama and difficulty. What's happening in the workplace? Maybe there's more drama and difficulty. What's happening in the world? Drama. Like we're just surrounded by so many things, so much difficulty, so much outside of our control. And you can hear heaven say to you tonight, but you, beloved. I know that's happening, but you. And I know they're saying, but you. And I know that, but you, beloved. And he puts it in the right context. Not only does he address us, but he reminds us of our beloved place as children of God, the ones that are cared for by God himself. 
And while there are activities to follow and things to do that are an outgrowth of our walk with the Lord, remember the love of God. And remember it's yours to enjoy. And notice it doesn't say in verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. It doesn't say keep yourselves in a place where God will keep loving you. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say keep yourself in a place where you're deserving of the love. Keep yourself in a place where you're worthy of God's love. Keep yourself in a place where you're working for God's love. No, he just says keep yourself in it. Keep yourselves in the love of God. It's already yours. It's a positional statement. It's a positional statement to stay put. As God's love is ever around you, always in you, and to you. And this speaks really to where you and I are in proximity, not physically, but mentally. For many, many years, my pastor Jeff would teach us the battles in the mind, the battles in the mind, the spiritual battles in the mind, and he always teach us. And, and for years, I didn't quite understand what he was saying. I couldn't equate to the, the battle that's going on in the spiritual realm and the, the battle that's going on between the forces of evil and God and those that are rebelling against God. How does that relate to my mind? Until God began to reveal to me that your mind is everything. Like you, the Bible says that God will keep you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. The Bible speaks of a peace that surpasses all understanding that will what? Guard your hearts and your mind. We learn in the scriptures through the teachings of Jesus that what you believe will dictate how you behave. So our minds are very important. And to keep ourselves in the love of God has everything to do with where our minds are. Will we remain in an abiding place? Will we stay focused? Will we surrender? Will we enjoy or receive or even meditate on the love of God? God is always the initiator. His love for us and to us. The Bible says that we love God. Why? Because he first loved us. God is always the initiator. He's always extending to us his great love. And so the instruction here in the midst of all the difficulties, just keep yourself there. Don't run away. Don't give up. Enjoy his love. Access it. Share it. Keep, you can even think of it not only in the mind, but like in the sphere of his love. You can leave the sphere of his love by choosing to yield to temptation and live in the flesh. And on and on that list will go. There are three things he mentions here that are going to help us practically when it comes to keeping ourselves in the love of God. And the first one is back in verse 20. Because we may ask the question, how? How do I keep myself in the love of God? I get the battle in my mind. I know my mind veers off and uh, I sometimes get caught up in my mind. I, I, I over, I'm overwhelmed by pain and grief and my mind, everything is just such a battle. I'm so tired of fighting. How is it that I can keep myself? He says, number one, build yourself up in your most holy faith. The idea of building is exactly what you would think it is. Build yourself up. Like the building of a house, the building of a structure, the building of a life, it starts with a strong foundation. We have the blueprints, the word of God. We, we have the tools, the spiritual Warfare, tools for the spiritual warfare, the armor of God in Ephesians 6. Remember what Jesus said. You can jot it down in Matthew 7, verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, 
I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who, and here's, here's an element of building, ready? He, everyone who hears these saying of mine and does not do them. So those that do them, those that do not do them. Now those that don't, they'll be like a foolish man. They're building, but on the wrong foundation. And the storms wipe them out. And Jesus says their fall is great. Because he went through all the effort, all the energy, but chose the wrong foundation. So number one, we build ourselves up in our most holy faith. I do believe that's a reference to the blueprint, God's word. Secondly, notice he says in verse 20, number two, praying in the Holy Spirit. And again, what a beautiful reminder it is to us as we have been coming back to simplicity as a church family as of late, to remember to pray and read our Bibles every day. The very simple acts, not because you have to, not to be a very good Christian, not to say that you did, but because this keeps you in the love of God, enjoying it, receiving it. It reminds you of the clarity and the beauty of the presence of God in a very upside down, sideways world. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Your personal participation of building includes praying. I mean, if you were just to read your Bible and pray every day, you would see immediate growth. You would see immediate strength. At the very least, you would stay put in one place while God heals you and begins the healing process. Your mind won't veer so far away when you find yourself completely submitted to the Word of God. And it's such a great place to be submitted just by reading it and receiving it. Now, praying here in the Holy Spirit could refer to praying in the power of the Holy Spirit. So in a yielded position, the Spirit of God in you. So when you pray in the Holy Spirit, you're being led by His Spirit. But it can also refer to praying in tongues. For those of you with the manifestation, the gift of tongues, you can pray in tongues as a place of personal strength. That no matter how bad and challenging things get, we have the privilege and the joy to talk to our Heavenly Father who hears us and answers us. We pray in the Spirit, and the Spirit prays through us. Our relationship with God is not natural. It's supernatural. It's not just like a buddy you met at, the, at work, and now you hang out together. It's not like somebody who introduced you to someone important, and now you're buddy-buddy with someone important. You have a supernatural relationship with God Himself, the God of all creation, and so in that supernatural relationship, you have a supernatural tool. It's manifested through normal talking, but you're talking to the creator of the universe. We're going to be reminded of the dramatic power of God when we go through the book of Genesis again. And you just think of, man, this is, this is our father, the creator of the universe, the sustainer of all things, the one who has been faithful to you time and time again, even though the world has proven to be very unfaithful to you very hurtful and painful, this world that we're in. Remember, we learn about Jesus in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. He says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but in all points we're tempted just as we are without sin. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne room of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. 
Or how about this one, Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. Have you ever been in that place where you just didn't know what to say? You didn't know what words to use? You just didn't understand what was going on, how to pray, what to say? Listen, he says, we don't know what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself, this is Romans 8, 26, makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. So number one, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Number two, pray in the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, notice at the end of verse 21, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. The tense of the original language here in the Greek is to constantly, continually be looking. That's the I-N-G of looking. To constantly, continually be looking for Jesus. That Jesus is coming to stay in his love and to make that stamp of approval of love permanent. This is a life now, keep yourselves in the love of God, but it's also a life of expectation, of excitement. The decision always puts present difficult realities into the right perspective. And isn't that really so much of what we battle is having the right perspective? Remembering in light of eternity, this is what we're experiencing. Remembering, like Paul said, this, these present trials, they don't even compare to the glory that will be revealed in you. The right perspective. Looking for the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, if you're taking notes in Ch Titus chapter 2, verse 11, it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It could be any day, friend, any day, any moment. It keeps the present realities in the right perspective, remembering it's temporary. Keep yourselves in the love of God. I think it's such a great reminder. It's not an encouragement to keep yourself saved. It's not an encouragement to read your Bible more, pray more, be a good Christian. No, enjoy the Lord because life will be much more enjoyable in Christ. Not fighting against Christ. Not battling. Not running away. Not being overwhelmed to the point where you walk away from the Lord. It's a reminder that you and I are to remain in a place where we can enjoy and experience and be affected by God's love. It's, it may be something simple for you when you wake up in the morning, you have it written down, maybe it's on your phone, on your home screen there, that you can just be reminded, God loves me. I'm a child of God, I'm his treasure, I'm beloved. I'm his son, I'm his daughter. And you can respond to those truths with loving surrender. You keep yourselves in the love of God, notice, in verse 22, now, from that position of love, he says, this is how you relate to others. On some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. If you're looking at a new way to do devos this year or to do a little extra Bible study, pay careful attention in your daily Bible reading in the coming year of how often you see Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
Not those exact words. Those are easy to find. But the principle, the truth, you see it right here. The first part is keep yourselves in the love of God. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he gives you some things. How do you do that? Then the very next thing he says, then this is how you're going to love your neighbor. In the midst of all the false teaching, and you know how defensive you can become and how challenging, even some of you may get very upset with false teachers, watching them undermine someone's faith, seeing them shipwreck people. I mean, there's all sorts of emotions that come with false teachings and with people that want to manipulate you and take advantage of the church. And there's all kinds of emotions there. However, he says, you need to make a distinction. Would you mark that in verse 22? You must make a distinction. You're not to treat everyone the same way. And he gives two types of people. I mean, there's a lot, but there's two types. On number one, on some, you need to have compassion. Compassion. From that place of strength and love, you're in a better place to help others. You're in a better place to serve others. But you have to make a distinction. You're not to treat everyone the same way. On some, you're to have compassion. Compassion. Verse 22 would refer to people that are wavering, doubting. It would refer to people that are unstable, maybe grieving, fearful. You know, as we've seen in earlier studies, when fear manifests among us, there's been this, like people using the Bible like a weapon and they'll come up to someone that's fearful with circumstances, situations in the world. And then there's a, God has not given you a spirit of fear. Like, like well, well, that doesn't help me very much. Now I'm fearful and mad at you at the same time. Like, what's your problem? Like, why don't you just pray for me? I'm fearful. Like you yelling at me is not gonna change it. I'm still fearful. Like I'm gonna need the Holy Spirit to minister to me, to give me courage. I'm gonna need him like Joshua to come to me and say, hey, be of good courage yet. I'm with you. Be of good courage. Like to the fearful, you wanna have compassion. To the struggling, you wanna have compassion. To the hurting, you wanna have compassion. You wanna feel with them. You wanna, as we've been learning, you wanna be empathetic with them, especially, and you'll find that God will allow people that have experienced things that you've experienced. And so you can have empathy because you kind of feel like, man, that sounds like I was five years ago. Sounds like where I was six years ago. And the Lord, thank you for sending them because I, I, I'm not gonna give them, like I'm not gonna give counsel based on my own understanding, but it is gonna make me more compassionate, more caring to them. So verse 22 is gonna be that compassionate person, that the people that are, are in need of extra loving care. But he says there are others, verse 23, you're making a distinction, there are others. Others you have to save with fear, pulling them out of the fire hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. And so it's important that we make a spiritual, prayerful distinction in ministering to others. Sometimes it's before you meet them and you can pray about the upcoming meeting. You can pray for wisdom, pray for God to give you insight. What's it going to be like? Sometimes it's when you first meet them and you don't know exactly what you're dealing with. And you're just praying in your mind, Lord, help me to understand. Help me to take them where they need to go. And even sometimes with the same person, <laughs> with the same person, they see you on Monday and you show them compassion. They come back on Friday, you need to be a little more stern with them. Why? So that you might minister to them and get them back into where? The love of God. Helping them. The whole context is keep yourselves in the love of God. For your place in the love of God, you're going to help others get there. And so verse 23 would be more of a, challenging thing. And again, from Jude's perspective, from the context of our book, this, this would be the false teachers. Like you don't mess around with false teaching. 
You don't mess around with false teachers. You give them a strong warning and admonition. You, you, in making that distinction, you warn them and then you remove them if they're unrepentant. You warn them and then you remove them if they're unrepentant for the sake of the flock. You protect the flock of God. That is an important distinction. And even for yourself, being a sheep yourself, you have a responsibility to protect yourself not presenting yourself to false teachers, not listening to them, not following them, not being all jazzed up by them because, again, you are having itchy ears and so you found a teacher that agrees with you, but they're actually not telling you the truth. And you're getting a false sense of you're feeling good. And doesn't this just sound like the devil? Doesn't this just sound like the devil? He, you feel good by doing something bad. That doesn't make any sense in the natural realm, like even just logically, but in your vulnerability, that's what sin does. It makes you feel good by doing something bad. And it's just not from the Lord. Now, another way, if you take this and we just step back for a second, I like to use this passage in discipling and ministering to leaders in our church. Like this gives you a, if you want a visual on this, uh, I'll give you a visual because on, when you're ministering to some people, you're praying after a service, you're praying after, uh, you know, coming up to the altar, you're praying after a service. I, I, like to visual, I, I like to visualize it this way. Most of the time, you and I have the privilege of showing compassion to someone, most of the time. Most of the time we could come alongside, we're walking with them, and come alongside is the key. So compassion and alongside. And I picture myself just putting my arm around the person and taking a walk with them. Compassion, I'm with them. I'm walking with them, I'm listening to them, I'm alongside of them. And so the idea is, is, is we're talking, we're just together, we're sitting together, we're sitting across the table, we're just walking along and I'm listening, learning, waiting to how I'm going to be able to apply the word of God. Maybe just to pray with them, encourage them. It could be like Job's friends. You know, the best thing they ever did for Job would just sit there quiet for seven days. Just be quiet. Just be there. Ministry of presence. When that's the distinction, walking alongside, number one. But number two, there are those with fear. You got to pull them out of the fire. Not even, not even taking the garment with them. That, to me, is more face-to-face. That's eye-to-eye. That's looking someone in the eye with sternness, with confidence in the Lord, and warning, rebuking, correcting, instructing. You just got to get it done. In love, so you're still valuing the person created in the image of God. You're not demeaning them. You're not making fun of them. Uh, You're not belittling them. However, you are stern. And it all comes from keeping yourself in the love of God. You go, Ed, but how could I possibly do that? The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. And there are times when you do, you look someone eye to eye, face to face. This is, I mean, I can remember on many occasions that that God has used me in someone's life to give them a strong warning or a strong admonition. They listened to it and God immediately began to work in their lives. Immediately began to work on some of the things they were sharing with me, some of the difficulties. All they needed was someone to look them in the eye and go, this is the will of God. But most of the time we have the privilege of walking alongside, just encouraging people, building them up. As we've been built up, then we can build others up. False teaching, false living creates all sorts of chaos in the church, apostates, backsliders, backbiters, liars, gossips, manipulators, all kinds of sinful behavior. They're they're not to be completely written off or dismissed, 
They're not to be coddled or allowed either. But rather, handling these difficulties requires us to be in the Spirit, remaining in the love of God. God God commands us to have compassion, empathy, wisdom, and a carefulness. But don't make, even if you're uncertain which way, just make a distinction. Pray for that distinction. Pray for that distinction. Notice now as he closes in verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. What a beautiful end to such a challenging letter. Jude didn't intend to write such a hard letter. He wanted to encourage the believers. But as he was in the Spirit, writing a letter to encourage, the Spirit led him to go in a whole different direction. And any of you that had, have had to correct, have had to rebuke, have had to instruct, it's not as easy as it sounds. And it's not fun. I mean, if you guys think correction, if anybody among me listening right now, so I love to correct, I love to rebuke, please let us pray for you. It's not an easy ministry. And it shouldn't be fun. It shouldn't be like some kind of joy where you're having to put it, you know, just get into like, like man, it's, it's hard. Because you know, even if you deal with the person, you got a lot of hurting people that are right behind them. And you're ministering to them as well. And there, there is no like spiritual gift of rebuke. It's like, well, God's just giving me the, bu-. no, he hasn't. You failed to obey the scripture of being, having a distinction, making a distinction. Not everybody needs to be rebuked and not everyone needs a strong word. He says at the end, hey, look, you got this going on. You have, he's got all this instruction, but then he ends with this doxology, this praise. Now to him. And look, notice all that he says about him. Number one, he says, he's able to keep you from stumbling. I wonder how many are listening to me right now that are so close to stumbling, just right on the edge. And God wants you to know he's able to keep you from stumbling. He's able to keep you from sin. We are not able and capable of keeping ourselves. It's impossible. In Ephesians 3.20, it says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we think or ask, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus. He's able to keep you. Number two, he's able to present you faultless. I know when you look in the mirror today, you don't see faultlessness. We see failures. We see mistakes. We see our own sinfulness. Some of you are more hard on yourselves than others. But the Bible says that God is able to present you faultless. I love that. Faultless. By his grace, you are forgiven and kept by the power of God. Even though we're not able to keep ourselves, God is able. In John 10, Jesus said, no one can snatch you out of his hands. No one. One day, very soon, Jesus is going to present you to the Father. Cleansed by his blood. Kept by his power. The focus is not on our own inabilities, but on God's great abilities. In 1 Peter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, 
reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation. Thirdly, notice it says he's able to present you faultless. Then he says, then he's able to present you in his presence before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. By God's grace and power, you're gonna make it. You're gonna make it. It's not gonna be because of your great spiritual activity and all the steps of obedience and things. No, you're gonna make it by his power. You're going to make it. What God started in you, he is faithful to complete it. He will perfect that which concerns you, the Bible says. One day Jesus is gonna present you to the Father And as he presents me to the Father, forgiven, cleansed, kept, I'll tell you, it says it will be joy inexpressible, in exceeding joy. In Philippians chapter one, verse five, it says, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Not only that, notice he says, that in verse 25, to God our Savior, who alone is wise. You might want to mark that word alone. Wisdom belongs to our God. The wisdom you need is His. The wisdom you want is His. The answers are caught up in Him. Jesus is infinitely wise, possessing all wisdom. He alone is wise. Psalm 147 verse 5 says, Great is our Lord, and mighty in power, his understanding, this is Psalm 147, 5, his understanding is infinite. The Lord lifts up the humble, but he casts the wicked to the ground. Not only that, notice he says, to, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty. That's why we sing together. That's why we worship. God alone. The Bible says in Isaiah, God said through the prophet Isaiah, he will share his glory with no man. None of us. He alone is in his own category. And you know, we say it like this, but it's his own category. God is God and you are not. He is alone wise. He deserves our glory and majesty. He deserves our worship, our surrender, our devotion. Listen to this one, 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty, for all that's in heaven and earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might, and your hand is to make great and to give strength of all. Isn't that great? You want to to know why you read the Bible every day? Because you come across little nuggets like that. I mean, just think about it. You know, Chronicles, if you're reading through the Bible, it's probably going to show up in March or April, you know, somewhere along the way. And you're already into the year, and it's already had its ups and downs, and you're already wondering what's going to happen. Do you, how, how am I going to go forward? Am I going to, and then you'd come onto this, go, no, you, you know, Lord, you're the one that's great. You're the one that scored. It's your power, your glory, your victory, your majesty. And then you close the Bible and go, oh man, Lord, you're so good to us. Like, what am I thinking? And then you walk out the door and you have warfare all over again. But that's why the word of God is inside of you. Like this is it. You're, you're sowing seeds. Remember what the Bible says? If you sow seeds of righteousness, you'll reap everlasting life. When you read the word of God, you're sowing into your life. 
seeds of the truth that you don't exactly know when are going to bear fruit in your life. And this one is just it's hidden in First Chronicles among all the kings and all the difficulties and all the sin and it's hidden right there going, no, no, God is exalted. He says at the end here that God alone, uh, Jesus alone has dominion and power both now and forever. Dominion and power. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Remember what he said in Matthew 28, right before he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel, make disciples. He says in verse 18 of Matthew 28, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And you just think of being at home with him, being at home with the Father, that place of pure rest, the eternal state, the place of passionate worship, worship the, the place of heavenly reunions. We're going to be reunited with those who died in Christ before us. Heavenly reunions. In a place of tranquility and peace and absence of war. At, at, the, at the very least, when you think of tranquility and peace, just think of a life without sin. And a life without temptation. And a life without broken bodies. A life without broken relationships. A life where hope has become real. Like you're in the presence of the Lord. All the things we worry about today will not be a worry anymore. Those of you that have tears, the Bible says God's going to wipe away every tear. He's going to take care of all that's needed as we have the fullness. What a glorious day that awaits us. I know it's hard and confusing and chaotic now. I know many are scared and afraid, mad and frustrated. There's many that are sad and grieving and hurting right now. But there's coming that day when it's all done away, friend. There's coming that day when our faith will become sight. Where the fulfillment of all that God has promised us will be ours. Whether you feel worthy or not. Whether you feel like you're going to make it or not whether you're even wondering if you're going to make it through tonight or not, if you're going to get a good night's sleep because you're so worried and anxious and wondering. And the Lord says, no, 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 listen, listen, take this to heart. He's able to keep you from stumbling. He's able to present you faultless. He's going to present you before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. He's God, our savior. He alone has wisdom Glory, majesty, dominion, power, both now and forever on into eternity. So beautiful to think of the finished work of Jesus Christ finally coming to our lives where our redemption draws near. If you want to turn in your Bible, I want to share two final scriptures here. Would you turn back with me to Zephaniah? Zephaniah, very uh, rarely used book of the Bible, but I want you to see it in your own. So it's not too far from the back. So you got Zechariah, you got Malachi, going backwards, Zechariah, Haggai, Zephaniah is right there, maybe the fourth or fifth uh, last book of the Old Testament. I I want you to see it in your own Bible. I want you to flip through it on your phone or your tablet. Uh, You guys watching online or listening on the radio, maybe even if you're driving, this is a scripture I want you to put into your heart as we close up the book of Jude here with all that's going on, all the challenges. Listen in Zephaniah chapter 3 in verse 16 through 20. It says, In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion, let not your hands be weak. 
The Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you in his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. And I will gather those who sorrow over the appointed assembly who are among you, to whom it's a reproach as a burden. Behold, at that time I will deal with all who afflict you. I will save the lame, and I will gather those who are driven out, and I will appoint them for praise and fame in every land where they were put to shame. At that time I will bring you back, even at the time I gather you, for I will give you fame and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I return your captives before your eyes, says the Lord. I think Zephaniah summarizes exactly what Jude is saying, where he says, he says, let the Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. He's gonna rejoice over you with gladness and quiet you with his love and rejoice over you with singing. We place that great emphasis in our church of singing to God. Isn't that beautiful? I love singing even around this time of the year, just the different songs we get to sing. But can you just for a moment consider God singing over you? Rejoicing in his relationship with you. It's not just one-sided. It's not just you. It's not just what you can do, what you have to do, what you should do, what you would, would have done or could have done. The relationship you have with the Father, he loves you. He wants you. He cares for you. And he bids you to say, he bids you to stay in that place where you enjoy his love. Because you know, outside of his love, it's just so hard and so difficult. We make things so complicated. We bring so many consequences into our lives. If you want to hear it a different way, one more place. Would you go to Revelation with me? I think Jesus is addressing the same thing as he, as he writes this little post-it note to the church in Ephesus. I think he's saying the same thing in a different way. As he writes to the church in Ephesus, may we consider ourselves. He says in chapter 2 of Revelation, verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you've persevered, verse 3, and have patience, and have labored for my namesake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. What does Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, say? Keep yourselves in the love of God. Church, to a whole church, very busy, very active, doing a lot of things, persevering, enduring, but all outside of the love of God. That's how people get hurt. That's how people are injured in the church. When all the activity of the church is outside of the love of God, is not motivated by the agape love of God, that is not selfless, not self-sacrificial, not willing to die all the way to ourselves, all the way to the cross. Not denying ourselves. So you got all this activity, and God will use it. But he says, what's more important is you guys left your first love. 
And today, if you're hearing me and you're like, man, that's me, Ed, I've left my first love, here's the word of the Lord to you. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. Or else I'll come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. That's often the missing key. Oh, I feel bad. A lot of emotion. I can't believe what I did. But the way out is just repentance. To see it the way God sees it. To turn away from that behavior. To turn back to the Lord. What does he say? Remember from where you have fallen. Repent and then follow up and go back to where you have fallen from. And repeat the first works. The Lord is so simple in his instruction to us. And may we leave here today with that sense of God's love for us, his care and concern for our lives and our families, for our situations, for our difficulties. As we leave, may we pray for those false teachers, false teachings that tend to take root in vulnerable people, and just ask God to stop them and to deal with them and to give us discernment so that we don't fall prey to them and we hold fast to the Lord and cling to him. So Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit to have your way among us as we grow in our understanding of your love for us. And I mean, I, I think in a big way, we wander away from your love. In many, many, several small ways, we wander away. And so we just ask for a fresh outpouring of your spirit right now, that we might obey what your word says, that we could that we would keep ourselves in the love of God. And I pray that over our church, those that are here and not here, those that are connected by technology. In our heart of hearts, we don't want to hurt anyone. We we don't want to be serving you outside of agape love, even though we're all learning ourselves and growing. But Lord, have your way with us, that your love might be most preeminent, that we might learn We might stay and we might give your love to others. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223 or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.